Yes, yes, the people. Welcome back to another uh, pint-sized pod. With uh, joining me and Ugni today will be uh, Dan, and we're going to have a pint. Well, two of us are going to have a pint. I say pint, alcoholic beverage. Over uh, rugby, rugby coaching, rugby playing, all of our backgrounds on rugby, specifically Dan's backgrounds on rugby. Dan, how are you doing, son? How are you getting on? I'm good. How are you, Alex? I'm not bad as well. I'm not bad. Just getting through, you know, getting get on that last part of lockdown. Ugni, join us today. How are you? How are you feeling? How are you doing? Good, mate. Always good. Say, Maz. Best part, best part of Sunday, seeing your face. So yeah, uh, play. Best part of Sunday. Best part of the weekend, lad. We had a little, had a little chat yesterday, didn't we? As well, had a, couple, true. Had a couple of, uh, couple of pints over, over the old Zoomy, over the old Zoomy last night. I'm so used to Zoom right now, man. I teach it every, every bloody day, man. I'm on Zoom. It's, it's actually getting pretty sick. Um, I, I don't think I'm going to be able to see people in real life. Uh, yeah, I can't I imagine yeah. seeing a human and talking to normally. I know. Probably talk about that later because like, social anxiety. Like, just met up with a few people at the at the at the pub yesterday because in Spain, obviously, the pubs are the pubs are open right now, and mm. it's like it's weird, man. You don't it, not that you don't, you forget to have a conversation. It's just weird sitting with people like you. There's a lot. I feel like there's a lot more awkward silences than than they ever used to be when you when you're sitting in company, you know. So uh, that's maybe something we will get into later on. Um, Oh, Dan, what are you drinking? I am drinking North Star Session IPA today. Um, so bought a bit, bought a few yesterday, ready for this pod. Very hoppy, my kind of thing. Your kind of thing. You like a hoppy beer, do you? Yeah, IPAs always have. Um, I mean, you know, I'm sure we'll have Matt and Brad on at some point in the future. Oh, they sure. always used to take the piss out of me with all my IPAs and everything. All I drink now. So yeah. That's all you drink. You can't do a you can't do a pale a blonde lager anymore. Nah, too boring. I mean, maybe if it's really hot outside. I'll go right. for a lager, but mm. nah, it's got to be an IPA nine times out of ten. Yeah, fair enough. I'm probably a bit, I, I don't think I've developed a palate for an IPA yet, you know. I think it's still, I think I'm still a, I think I'm still a bit of a proverbial uh, pussy when it comes to drinking that sort of stuff. Well, they probably don't have much, of, I mean, I don't know, but they probably don't have much of it out where you are at the moment, do they? Every, everything's imported, so they don't have their yeah, own true. IPAs. They don't have their own IPAs, but so, but you can just go to one of the one of the supermarkets and there's plenty there's plenty ah. of issues from there they, they get quite Brewdog gets quite a lot of business over here oh really so, yeah, Spanish people like yeah Spanish people like a bit of the impartial a little bit of blue, partial little bit of blue, uh, Brewdog um, I am drinking for anyone listening um, nobody is watching um, it's a two litre bottle um, I'm not drinking the whole two litre bottle there's only a little bit left in there only a bit left in the bottom uh, Tinto de Verano it's like a think of a sangria that's what it is sangria only for it's definitely it's, yeah, it's, yeah, for sure. It, it doesn't it doesn't taste necessarily different, to be fair. Um, but not very fruity. Oh, Dan, rated out of ten? I didn't I didn't hear. I didn't get your rating. Um, I'd give it I'd give it an eight and a half out of ten. I think I've half. definitely I definitely had better, oh. but it's, it's a solid one. Solid, cold as well from the fridge, is it? Put it in the freezer for half an hour before this, and the glass as well, so it's perfect temperature. And I don't know what I don't know what the problem is, but whenever I put beers in the freezer. And I come back to them about half an hour later. They always explode. I open it and it just <laughs> smashes up into my face like every every time. I, I don't I don't know if it's probably my problem or problem with the freezer or someone's some. I've got a little goblin that lives in my freezer shaking up shaking up my cans of uh, Mao when I put them in. But uh, that's what seems to happen. Anyway, yeah, uh, I'm giving that. I don't know because it's it's really sweet, but it might even be too sweet. I'm giving the Tinto de Verano a seven. I'm not. Not a massive fan, but it gets a job done when you've, you know, when you've been on the, if you've been on the ale all day and it's get, you're getting a bit sick of it and then something nice and sweet, like a, like a, or even sweeter than a cider, it's nice and sweet. I'll, I'll give it a seven out of 10 because I'm not, uh, not a massive fan of it, but it's okay. All right, let's dive straight in then. I take it. 
Um, Dan, give us a bit of a background uh, to you, you know, about rugby playing, rugby coaching, what you do now, how we know each other, that sort of thing, you know, just give us a little bit of a background. Sure. So, I mean, lived and grown up in Surrey my whole life um, when I was uh, born in Epsom, uh, lived in Fetcham pretty much until... July last year, actually, when I moved out with my girlfriend. Um, so yeah, lived in the, the same same bungalow in Fetcham from the day I was born until um, until I was twenty five. Uh, so yeah, that, that that's that's most of my story. Went to school in Fetcham, very small village. I'd say probably the average age there is is probably sixty five. Um, so yeah, not much to do there. Unfortunately, we have one pub um, which sells wine bar prices. So I think I went there, you know, maybe every Christmas Eve. That was about it. Um, but yeah, no, uh, started playing rugby when I was about 14, uh, which is quite late for most people. Uh, most of the people I was playing with have been playing since about six. The whole families were rugby mad. Um, everyone else in my family, football, that, that's it. You know, my, my dad, my brother sport Chelsea and our local team, Leatherhead. Um, that's it. So when I was younger, I tried all sorts of sports, crap at all of them. Um, rugby was just the one I was least crap at. So, you know, no way I say I'm a good player at all. Um, but I just enjoy everything about it, the playing side of things, the social side of things, um, and just the game itself. Um, it, it's different every single match, you know. It's very rare you ever see a draw, the results, you know, especially if you have a look at the English Premiership this year, results are completely different all over the board. Um, so, yeah, I started, playing, like I said, started playing when I was 14. Um, I was about the same size I am now. Well, I mean, minus a few kg due to lockdown. Um, but so the, the coach put me in the forward years to just run through people. Um, that's what I did. And then everyone got bigger than me and I didn't have any other skills, um, but I carried on playing. Um, took a year out, under 18 season out due to injury. I sort of dislocated my shoulder, curved my spine, got a concussion in one go. That was fun. Delve into that later. Um, and then went back at playing when I was at university, not for the university team um, because they had a bit of a reputation. So I just played for a local club, uh, played in the forwards in the first game. Within five minutes, I got knocked out um, with uh, the big, big boys. Um, so I thought, right, OK, I'll go on the wing, bulk myself up a little bit, and then um, we'll get back into it. Played on the wing, had no idea what I was doing. Like I said, always talked to crash things up. That was it. So positioning-wise, no idea. Um, but yeah, no, started, started playing again at university at that club. And then uh, during my placement year, Came back, played for Dorkin, which is a club I now play for now. Um, but I started coaching at that club in Bournemouth as well. I mean, we can delve into that a little bit later as well. But uh, yeah, that, that's kind of my, my history with rugby. Like I said, loads, loads of injuries, which I haven't got into too much there. Don't want to waste that time now. Um, but yeah, that, that's kind of me and rugby. Yeah, for sure. We'll get into the, get into the injury stuff a bit later on because that's an, in, uh, an interesting... Um, an interesting line to explore in terms of how you cope with that, in terms of obviously how much you loved playing or, or whatever, mm. and uh, having that time out and having that you know mental toughness to be able to to, to get yourself back back out there. Um, all right, if we want to start from which university did you go to, by the way, just so just for people to know. Yeah, of course. So I went to uh, Bournemouth University. Wasn't my first choice. Uh, didn't quite do as well my levels as I was hoping to. Um, but yeah, and I went to Bournemouth. So I studied. Uh, business studies with operations and project management so very boring um, I hear that from everyone so don't worry I won't be offended if you say the same um, but I studied there for, for four years in total I mean one of those years was a placement year so I worked in industry for that year um, it was what well, I said you know the first time away from home as it is for a lot of people so it was definitely experience um, 
first year unfortunately wasn't quite as I was hoping it to be because I wasn't in halls because like I said it wasn't my first choice university so I was in they called it Unilet so essentially it's it's a house which the university rents from a private landlord and then they they rent it to us essentially so I was in a Unilet property in Boscombe which I'll delve into that a little bit more later it's uh, not the nicest area um, in the UK I can I can definitely tell you that um but I lived in a unit property, nine bedroom house, which makes it sound absolutely massive. Oh. Makes it sound a massive. It's probably a four bedroom house turned into a student nine bedroom house. So that gives you an idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was it was about half an hour's bus ride, sort of taxi ride away from the town centre. So, you know, going out was an absolute pain because you had to pay however much for a taxi to get there and then to get back. So first few times it was absolutely fine um and then of course as it always happens a few people dropped out of university a few people moved to um halls uh, so we went from about nine people in the end to being three in that house um and by, by the point everyone moved on it was just too late for me to even look into halls so i thought i'll just stick here uh, the other two people were absolutely lovely got on with them great but they went home every single weekend so weekends it was sort of me just sort of in the elite unit house, like I said, no way I could really go out because a taxi there and back as a student, ridiculous. So, um, yeah, I mean, to be honest, most of social was rugby club. Um, like I said, uh, not 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 the university one, um, club called Oak Comedians. So that's the one I, I, I joined there. So actually central to Bournemouth rather than Bournemouth Rugby Club, who are about 15 minute drive out of Bournemouth. So, um, yeah. All right, you said hey, what, mate? Go on, I was going to say, tell you what, not a nine-person house. If I walk into that, I'm walking straight back out. There is absolutely no chance. Sounds like a nightmare to me. Although, saying that, I've heard Bournemouth Uni, um, I've heard different reviews. I've heard, I've heard it's a great night out, but I guess if you're half an hour away, it's probably not, That's <laughs> not the thing. ideal. That's the thing. I mean, there's there's so many clubs, bars, pubs, whatever you want there. Yeah. Um, but they change name every single year. Um, I think the only one which kept the same name was... I think Halo, which was in an old converted church. Um, uh, but yeah, no, so many clubs, bars and stuff. But like I said, the main issue was just in the first year, being so far out, that that was the main issue. Um, and then sort of in, in second year, you know, sort of crack, work cracked out on a little bit more. And rather than going out, we all sort of had just people come around to the house. So socially, I'd say second year was definitely better because um, we had a friend who played on the American football team um, at, at the university. So they brought, you know, everyone over to our, our small house, which was fun. Um, but yeah, no, it's uh, it was an interesting time at university. Um, it wasn't wasn't my favourite time. I'll, I'll make that. That's definitely the case. Uh, glad I did it. Definitely glad I got my degree. 100% proud I've done that. But it wasn't wasn't my favourite few years. I, I can definitely definitely say that. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Ogni, you, you were prolific at uni, weren't you? I mean, I, I basically went there for 10 minutes, I think. <laughs> Less than that. But... Hey, we got uh, we yeah. we got a night out of it. We got a night out of it. One. Yeah, well, I had pretty down to the context. I had a pretty short lived uh, uni experience. Um, never been an academic. Went to uni. Well, I think I went to one lecture. Uh, walked straight back out, like I said. And <laughs> I went to play, I played I played for the rugby team, and that was that was good fun. But I just turned into a horrible horrible human. I think like when I look back on that period of my life. I feel, I've made some really good friends, if I get me wrong, but um, I could just change to be the worst person ever. I was literally <laughs> there, I was sleeping, drinking, just just horrendous, like a horrendous lifestyle to me. And yeah. So yeah, it worked for me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I was like done. I, I, but I mean, I 
sort of a bit of both is I did, I did my uni degree and played, but then I also played for the for the university rugby team. Uh, yeah. But like you said, I mean the, the the social side of it is is what is what drew me. And also I want I mean I wanted to do it. I mean we obviously both played rugby together at schools and and it was like a it was an it was it was an interesting take. I mean. Uh, I didn't think they would take it as seriously as they did, but like I mean, it's mass it's taken massively seriously to be honest. And um, yeah, I really enjoyed my time playing there. Didn't take it as seriously when I first two years I was proper into it, and after that I, I didn't take it as seriously um, after I came back from my year abroad and, and finally. But then again, in finally specifically studies, studies definitely take more of a, a, a more of a front-footed role, don't they? Like you, you sort of forget about the social side and and even the and the, and the sports side because you've got. Uh, Bigger fish to fry, uh, proverbial bigger fish to fry, so to speak. Um, yeah. To be fair, I've been for you. I, I got I got a sevens tournament out of old TV Chris. Yeah, that was sick. Yeah, that was that was one of the best parts. Like they they did like a, an Easter spring sevens tournament, didn't they? And we made um, our own team. And for whatever reason, the guy that I live with, Alex Sims, one of my one of my best one of my better mates from uh, from uni, decided to make it one of the worst rugby kids I've ever seen. Sevens. <laughs> yeah, sevens. Yeah. That's what I no, that's what I mean. Sevens, but like so you get like really like zingy, zingy, flashy colours. These were just grey lads. <laughs> grey rugby no. kits. It looked like you just all it looked like you just got a white rugby kit and rolled around in the mud for a bit. That's what it looked like. Sorry, Sims, if you're listening, I don't think you will be. But um they they were they were crap. And they made he made the the the, the logo was a badger because he liked he liked badgers, I guess. I think that was the the, the logo of his rugby team at home and it was just a grey kit with a yellow and a, and a green stripe like a very thin stripe like close to the on sort of the crest of the on the left side and I was like shocking like, yeah I was like I want to go straight look real cool uh, not necessarily cool just wacky and like some pink yellow purple whatever green kit and I'm just like oh yeah lad they've got the kit sorted it's 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 grey you know Right. That sound that sounds like you know a first team's away kit that they'd never ever wear. They wear it, you know, once a season sort of yeah. thing. Like you said, sevens, it's got to be yellow, pink, purple. It's got to look horrid, but in like a, a wacky way, not horrid as in grey. Yeah. Exactly. That's what I mean. Yeah, and like you, you nailed it on the head. It's probably a um someone's away kit because it's a change kit because nobody else has a grey kit. Everyone knows that that's a terrible idea to have a grey kit. So yeah, uh, sorry, Sims. But yeah, like we just a. Uh, Sort of build on what was in before. I think it's a massive. It, the social side was massive, and I'm. I think we all know as well. One of my favorite, still one of the favorite things that I've watched, is um, all them lions raw, lions uncut videos from all that. You can see even like all the way up to professional rugby, like that social side is still mega, and it's a massive. I think it's one of the big biggest reasons why all most rugby players are are probably solid sound guys because they build this, they build this brotherhood, they build this. Um, they build a repertoire with all the all the definitely yeah, and then footballers are just knobs who just go I flashing mean, around in the in the Lamborghini. Yeah. yeah, carrying on from that, I mean, you know, at, at Dorking, it's not me flashing Dorking about, but you know, we've had uh, George Cruz, Elliot Daly. They've they've both played at, at Dorking in the past, and George Cruz comes back, you know, like two three. Well, not now because he's in Japan, but he comes back sort of every every two three years. Um, so you have sort of like a, a local derby, the under twenty ones game around Christmas. Every single year, George Cruz comes down, you know, I mean, you wouldn't be able to tell he's a professional rugby player apart from his height. That's about it. But, you know, he hangs out with everyone, buys someone a drink, you buy him a drink. It's normal. But then, like you said, you go to a football game and they're escorted, you know, away from the fans. You don't see him. But in rugby, it's normal. They'll just walk through the streets, driving 
slightly more flashy cars, but you know, they're not being paid sort of a uh, hundred K plus a week sort of wages to get those Lambos and everything. So yeah. definitely different. For sure. Here's a question on bit controversial, but um Hey, it's coming That's what I'm able. Uh, so we need to get what? some the sound guy on uh, on a little jingle when Ugni comes up with his controversial corner. Controversial <laughs> corner, little snippets going Ugs. We do. Um, but so just on that point of like, I guess the perception of of being these, you know, just you know, sound people and, and and I guess the gentleman esque uh, behavioural stuff of it. Um, what are your thoughts on when you look at, when you when you hear about or you you sort of generalised uni rugby and you sort of hear stories of you know the absolute opposite um compared to compared to what we just talked about how would you how would you describe that and obviously you sort of alluded to it before didn't you in terms of that the uni team having a bit of reputation just keen to keen to get your thoughts on that yeah it's it definitely is an interesting one because you know you don't really see it in the professional sport anymore i mean you know you have a look at cipriani a few years back he was the exact same as that. You know, he was drinking, doing all sorts of stuff. He had quite a few issues with the police because of it. Um, you had Andy Powell playing for Wales a long time ago. And that was it. I think it's sort of, you always get those people in whatever you do. You always get, you know, the people are absolutely fine, but then there's just those one or two dickheads that just take it too far and everyone gets a reputation because of it. Um, so I think there's definitely part of that. But I think sort of, uni rugby teams are definitely the worst I mean you know like you said when when you're at university you're pretty much sleeping drinking that was it and that's what happens with uni rugby teams you know rugby they've already got a reputation you know drinking bars dry and everything and whilst they're at university they've got to keep that reputation so I think it's just everything combined there's a lot of egos a lot of egos whereas at our club We'll have like a mixture of different ages. People have been in the club for long. They want to keep the reputation of that club high. Whereas at university, you're there for like, you know, three, maybe four years. So it's just literally have fun, take the piss whilst you can. I mean, I do think it, it damages the sport in a way. Um, because, you know, you hear a lot of people talking about, oh, rugby guys, rugby guys this, they've done that and et cetera. Um, but yeah, it's, de- it's definitely an interesting one. I mean, I don't necessarily know why it happens exactly, but... I mean, at the club I play at now, there's definitely a few, let's call them characters. Um, but you get that everywhere. Any sport, I mean, guarantee you get that. Um, but I think just because of when rugby players go out, they often go out as a team. So I think that because there's that many of them, um, they just get that bit more of a reputation because it's almost like a, a mob rather than just, you know, a couple of people going out for a drink and doing something stupid. It's sort of, you know, 15 if not if it's two teams you know 30 people going out you know and only a couple of people doing stupid but then those 30 people are looking after those two people so yeah. i think it's uh it's an it's a stereotype which i wouldn't say unfair to be honest because like i said it definitely happened but it is sadly i think it actually draws some people to the sport um because they look out you know thinking that sort of you know Oh, it's just a laugh. It's a like piss take and everything. Which, sure, you know, you need to have a laugh, but at the same time, you know, you've got you've got especially at university, you've got a reputation to keep for your, for your university. You've got a reputation to keep for your club. So just be be sensible. As simple as that. Yeah. I, mean, I don't want to sound boring, but yeah, that, that's it. That's 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 one thing I need here, right? So obviously coming from the north, went to went to uni, um, and then. Like the, the mates that I made were pretty much everyone that was like this, what do they call seniors, third years, whatever. Um, so I just, I just couldn't, I just couldn't grasp the idea of being a fully grown human and just wanting to drink someone's like piss. I was like, mate, what are you doing? 
And like these lads were like fucking well up for it. And I was just like, mate, fuck off. You're eight, you're like, you're a fully grown man. Stop trying to tell me to do things. I just, I, honestly, it, it, it drove me mad. Um, and then you just see people like conforming to it. And I mean, I get, I get like, I, I completely understand, you know, like initiation, stuff like that, fair, fair play, but people actually love it. I think it's like some sort of sickness. It is like weird. a cult sometimes. It is like a cult. It is It is weird. I mean, you know, the club I've played for in the past, as soon as it went past 9pm, naked bar, that was it. If you wanted to order a drink from the bar, you had to be completely naked. Not just wearing underwear, completely naked if you want to order a drink from the bar, you know. And it is, I mean, you know, sometimes it's a laugh. But like you said, you know, when you're drinking people's piss, I never partook in any of that. I just want to make that clear. But, um, you know, it is sort of... Yeah, it's just it's, it is weird and I think that does put people off you know and I think that's why some people especially the university teams they don't want to play for the university because they've heard these stories of you know what they make you do at initiations and it's not just sort of you know like ex-polys it happens like guarantee it happens at like Cambridge Oxford all the top universities yeah, as well worse, probably. I'm, exactly I'm yeah imagine. probably even worse yeah. what was your what was your um, experience of that sort of stuff like in, in New Zealand books uh I mean, they, they just love it. I mean, like, so there's an initiation basically in this like court, uh, and but it wouldn't get. It's nothing silly. Like, there's nothing um, like you get naked to an extent, and, and you drink loads of shit and eat loads of stuff. But it would never be anything in terms of you know do something incriminating or just something weird. Um, but it's like over there, it's not really sorry. My out culture. When, when I was there, sorry, it definitely wasn't because it was just an earthquake complex. I, I was basically in the context I was there when it was like crisis recovery. Um, yeah. So it was just basically uh, finish your game. You're in the club. You're in the uh, yeah. You're in the clubhouse and you're just buying like jugs of beer and you're just having a good time. Um, but there was none of like the like just weird stuff. Um, I'd say. But yeah, it's definitely like. I mean, I think I think the initiation culture is good. And, like court is good because it's just. You know, it's team bonding to an extent. But yeah. I, like, I, like I said, I, I think I kind of I can't remember if I if I rang or now, but I, I just honestly I was flabbergasted when I went there. I just couldn't I couldn't understand it. Definitely. Mm. Um, all right. Well, I think I think well, that was a, that was an interesting bit. To be fair, we didn't even we didn't even plan on that, but that's it. Oh, it's an interesting angle to to explore. Um, let's go back to you, Dan. I'm interested into getting to the rest of it. So, rugby playing career going well. Bang! The fateful day happens. Take us through that 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 day where you had that um, where where you got the massive injury. What what happened? What how did you do it? And then we'll talk about the rehab after uh, rehab after that. Yeah, of course. Well, I mean, I'll talk about the first one because um, I've had a fair few injuries. I'll list them all off in a bit. Um, but that one, I was about sixteen, seventeen. Um, and essentially, what happens? I got tackled, put down in a ruck. Um, sort of feet in a ruck was normal back then. I sound like I'm so old, but I'm really not. I'm only 25. Um, so essentially what happened is someone put their foot in the middle of my shoulder blades, pushed down, put my shoulder out, and they, they dragged their foot down, essentially, and that actually knocked a couple of my, uh, my, my spinal cords, whatever it was, like slightly knocked them, and then the ruck collapsed on my head. So it was a great fun one for, as a 16, 17-year-old. So um, put in an ambulance, taken to hospital, lots of gas and air, as they rolled me onto the actual bench, my shoulder popped back in, so that was all fine. Um, my spine was like, look, it's okay enough. It's just moved around a little bit, so we're not going to do anything there. So I said, look, don't go to sleep until it's late tonight because of concussion or suspected concussion. Um, and then that was it. So that was, I think it was about midway through the season. So I just decided, look, it was my first year of A-levels. I just thought, look, 
I'm not going to play anymore this season. I'll leave it. Um, I'll see if I come back next season. Um, but in the end, I didn't because uh, it was finally available. So I thought I'd focus on my studying before going to university and everything. Missed it terribly. Really did. Because um, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not an angry person, but everyone needs to have a release occasionally. And, you know, just putting your shoulder into someone legally, you know, that is uh, quite a good um, stress reliever, anger, anger release and everything as well. So I definitely missed it. Watched a hell of a lot more rugby that season after as well than I did before because I never really, never really followed a team. I mean, you know, I kept up to date kind of with England, um, but never really watched much of it. It just, just enjoyed the sport. Um, so there really wasn't much rehab for that one. Um, it was just a case of got over my injury. Um, like I said, the shoulder. Occasionally, if I'm at the gym, which I haven't been for a while, obviously, I can't push quite as much with my my left shoulder. Um, it doesn't hurt. Um, it just sort of stops. Um, but uh, that, that's definitely one of the injuries. I mean, the big one is uh, the ankle break and dislocation. Um, when was that? I think uh, pretty much exactly two years ago, actually. Um, so I was uh, playing Friday Night Lights with the vets, um, which I shouldn't have been doing. As you can see, I'm a bit too young for the vets team. Um, essentially, I was supposed to be playing for the twos the following day. Um now, the thing with Dawkins Vets team, um, I'd say we have people playing that are in their like, late 60s um, playing rugby, uh, but the Vets teams we play against, like 35 to maybe 45. So, that you know, they're still probably playing second, third team, still fairly fit. Whereas our guys, they'll, let's just say they're not fit. Um, so I was chucked on the wing, which isn't my position, but I was playing wing, centre, 10, nine, everything. Um so at one point, uh, someone's going in. I said, just take the tackle, ride the contact, you know, I'll, I'll go over. So they pop the ball to me. So, of course, not panic, but I try and sidestep and everything, get past a couple of people. And someone grabs the back of my shirt and essentially rolls over my ankle. Um, so my ankle sort of does like a 90-degree snap. So it dislocates itself and I fracture the, not the big one, thankfully, I can't which one it's called now, tibia or something. Um, so that was fun. Uh, I was... Uh, in a, in a cast for about, I think, about a month in the end. They, they put me in the moon boot pretty quick because they wanted to see how the movement was, if it was healing by itself. Um, but, yeah, the the thing which uh, my parents weren't too keen on, we were supposed to be going on a holiday to uh, to Florida um, about two weeks after I did that. So um, they weren't chuffed at all. Um, and I said the coach for the, the second team, he wasn't too, too happy either. Um, but that was an absolute... That, that's probably the biggest injury I've had. Um, it, it put me out playing for for ages. I think I've only really played twice since. I mean, obviously the pandemic hasn't helped, but I've only played twice since. Yeah, I did have physio, had physio for it. It was covered sort of by the insurance, by the club. Um, that was tough. That definitely was tough. Because um, I said, just having that moon boot on and everything. I mean, I've never been, had loads of muscle at all. I mean, Alex can attest to that as well. But especially in my calves, but, you know, my right calf shrunk dramatically. I'd say it's probably half the size of the other one. Um, so there's definitely a lot of muscle loss. And, you know, I, I couldn't stand on that one leg, even after it was probably healed fully for, I'd say, a good two, three months. You know, pushing off, running is almost impossible. But it was just a case of doing stretches, using some, like, elastic bands, or big elastic bands sort of things, and just, just using it, to be honest. That's what they said. They said, literally, just got to use it. Initially, they said it needed surgery, um, and then they said they waited too long to perform surgery. So it just healed by itself. Now it has healed, but it hasn't healed 
perfectly. So occasionally I'll wake up in the morning, aches, um, but, you know, I just give it a little click, roll it around a couple of times and it normally feels okay. But sometimes if I use it for too long, it aches a little bit as well. So, yeah, that's definitely been the biggest one. Um, mentally, it was definitely, definitely painful because um, I was actually working as a rugby coach. That was that was my job at that period in time. So, of course, I was out of work for that. So um, that was a big hit mentally as well, um, not just physically. Um, but yeah, no, it definitely was tough, you know, sort of have it, if I wanted to do anything, getting mates, having to give me lifts, um, not having the independence at all. Like, I mean, even something as simple as having a shower, like I couldn't sit up. We had to get sort of like a, a little chair, to be honest, like, you know, one of those little plastic outdoor chairs so I could sort of, you know, wash myself in the shower. It was definitely a big, big change. Um, but yeah, no, I mean... <sighs> Even even now, I'm still sure if I'm ever going to be coming back playing properly because of it. Because um, like I said, it still gives me a few issues here and there. Um, and I am still young. And if it's already given me issues now, it's sort of like, do I want to, you know, risk doing anything else or even just making it worse? So, yeah, yeah tricky one. Yeah, it's always interesting. Go on, others. Sorry, mate. I, I was, was going to say, I like this conversation quite recently, so it's quite interesting that you say that, like, having an injury now is just such an inconvenience to life, isn't it? It's not necessarily just, like, obviously, when, you, when, you, when you're a kid and, and you, you're interested at school, right? obviously, you're, you're recovering, you've got your, your parents, et cetera, to, to help you out. But when you're, when, you're, when you're actually, like, in the world and, like you said, you have a shower, it's, um, it does make you think, doesn't it, to... Definitely, big, big time. Big time. Uh, also, it's it's interesting to, to get someone else's um, point of view on that sort of. I mean, what you were like, you were 16, 17, oh, two years ago was the was the ankle. Yeah, the, yeah. yeah. The other one. So yeah, it's interesting to get the uh, your perspective in terms of what it was like. Uh, like you say, not not necessarily a a, ma- a massive amount of, of physical rehab, but uh, where your mind was at, because obviously we, Ugni, me and Ugni have got a friend, uh, Sam, who's who's um, just overcome a, a massive illness and, and has obviously, he plays professional rugby and he's been out mm-hmm. for, how, how long now Ugni has he not played for? So you'd be, it's a, well, it'd been, it'd been the season now. Uh, so, he got, he, so he got diagnosed last pre-season. So yeah, a season. So more than a season, yeah. And it's, it's interesting to, to just compare the, the sort of mental journeys that people go on. Because obviously everyone approaches it differently, man, don't they? Like it's a, it's not, there's not like a, um, one size fits all answer to to, to then combat uh, where your mind goes. You know, people some people end up in dark places. We see a lot of, I mean, a lot of uh, uh, unfortunately a lot of um, depression and stuff uh, surrounding uh, in the surrounding area of professional sport comes from. You know, uh, after after your career's over and you're not playing and you don't mm-hmm. get that buzz anymore. You know, and that's I, I expect like a little nugget, a little biscuit of that. Um, of that depression can definitely uh, loom over you if you if you have a big injury and, and you know you, you can't play for like you say a, a year or like Sam like a year like Sam hasn't so it's interesting to get your perspective on that big time and I mean you know I've, I've, I've had all sorts of injuries in the past I mean you know I've broken all my toes dislocated a knee half dislocated a hip broken a couple of ribs tore muscle in my neck dislocated both thumbs and everything but it's sort of a few of those, I've just been like, I'll brush it off. I'll be back in a, in a short period of time. But, you know, something like a leg break, it's not just the sport. It's literally your independence as well. Yeah. It's like I said, that shower thing, you know, I couldn't walk to the shops. I couldn't drive somewhere if I wanted to do it. You know, it's kind of a case of, I was living with my parents at the time. It's kind of I had to ask them to do something. And, you know, they were busy half the time. They had their own lives to do as well. 
Um, yeah. I was also seeing a girl before it happened, and um, that ended about two days before uh, I broke my ankle as well. So of course, you know, it all exactly it all adds up. Um, so it, it it definitely was difficult, and I, I definitely noticed myself sort of snapping at people. Um, you know, I look back at now, I think I was being an absolute dick, but I think it's just you know from your life going, you know, are oh, you playing rugby every single week? Like I said, I was coaching for fun. I had had an all right job. Um, I was I was enjoying it. And then going back to pretty much, oh, you're just stuck in bed, you know, that's it, you know, grab crutches, go to the toilet. That's pretty much the only time you leave your bed sort of thing, you know, maybe a little bit of food. Um, so it uh, was definitely tricky. But I mean, you know, it, I was definitely lucky enough that I am, you know, you know, NHS and everything else, you know, they were able to look after me very well. Um I am back. If I really wanted to, I could be back playing. Um, but we don't know. There's definitely people in a lot more worse positions than me. So I am. Uh, I do definitely consider myself very lucky. Yeah, fair, but yeah. I mean, you just you listen your your injuries. There definitely doesn't sound like that you've been that lucky. I mean, ugly. Yeah, we. I can't think of a big injury that either of us have had. Can you? Yeah, touch wood. I haven't had. I haven't had one. I've know, had a couple break, of knocks. break with your fingers and stuff, but I've not. I mean, that that list of injuries is is pretty. Yeah. Uh, Pretty interesting. I don't know you fit all of them in. I mean, Jesus. I know. I think a few, a few of them sort of, I didn't, you don't even realise at the time. It's sort of like during a water break, I've been like, oh, my thumb's out. I think it's because, you know, the adrenaline, especially in rugby, I mean, of course, I said I haven't really played many other sports. The adrenaline is so high because of what the sport is. You know, it's almost like, I saw this analogy, you know, football is 90 minutes of pretending you're hurt. Rugby is 80 minutes of pretending you're not hurt. And I think that's it. You know, you think you get knocks and everything and then sort of you realise, oh, something's not quite right here. You know, a knuckle's not quite right. So you pop it back in. Um, the ribs one was definitely the most interesting one because I reckon I did that probably in the first five minutes of the game. Carried on playing the rest of the match. Um, it's only when I got home and sat down and sneezed. That's when I realised something was wrong. Um, yeah. But it is, it is definitely a crazy one. Um, like I said, you know, I have a look at the, the list of injuries and... I don't necessarily see them as all being big, apart from, like I said, sort of that. The, the ankle break is definitely the biggest one. Um, and the, the ribs, that put me out for about a month, I think. But I, st I still went down to training and did as much as I could there. Um, but it's just the love for the game. And that's the thing, you know, you look at rugby players, you know, you, even today, you know, they'll have gashes in their head, you know, blood flowing down their face. Like, oh, I just want to carry on. Just, you know, strap, strap me up. I'll be back on the pitch. Yeah. And I think that's it. That The love for the game, it just... It, it makes you almost forget that, hang on a minute, something's not right, you know, I've damaged something here. Um, and that's why you have, you know, players now um, who are who are suing sort of, you know, I'm going on to concussion now, they're, they're suing sort of high-level sort of uh, rugby boards due to concussion, due to effects. Um, but it, it's, with a sport like rugby, you know, American football, anything where there's contact, there's always risks to sport. Um, it's something you have to um, accept. Um and, and I mean, you know, like I said, I love I love playing. I love coaching. If I have had kids in the future, I've, I'd love for them to play, but I'd never force it upon them um, at all. And that, that's one thing sort of at private schools. I'm not a massive fan. You know, a lot of private schools around here, at least, they make it compulsory to play rugby. And, you know, however much I, I love the sport, I think that is so wrong because it, it's... I can easily, anyone can easily tell it's not a sport for everyone. You have to be in the right mindset. You have to want to play it. So... It's it's a tricky one. You have to accept the risk. Of course, there's going to be injuries. Um, it took me a fair few years until I got my, like I said, the first one, like a couple of years. Um, but you know, there there are players that you know they get an injury fairly early on in their their professional career or something, and that's it. 
it, it is it is it's a risk. But then there's players, you know, Johnny Wilkinson. If you have a look at the amount of injuries he had, but he carried on playing until his late thirties. Um, it's tricky. It's tricky. For sure, uh, definitely. And I think that's a good. That's a it's a nice little stepping stone onto sort of the next part of the podcast, which uh, I mean, chronologically will probably be the, the next part of your life. Uh, you're talking about the love of the game. Um, I think your love of the game sort of stretches uh, further than most because you're now, uh, are you, you're working full-time in rugby coaching now? No, well, I'm actually working an office job at the moment. Um, okay. So I have been for a little while, but I was um, working sort of as a, it's predominantly a community coach, um, but there was sort of some scouting aspect to it with uh with Harlequins and Harlequins Foundation, um, right. so which is my local top tier professional club. Um, so how did that start then? So I was essentially so my local club, like the club I play for, Dorking, they advertised something um, online saying, "Look, we're doing some community coaching. Literally, go around to schools, after school club, coach a bit of rugby, a bit of fun. It sort of hopefully brings kids to the rugby club, so the club gets a bit more money, you know, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. And um, my contract and my, the job I was in at the moment literally ended at the uh, pretty much at Christmas. So I thought, you know what, why not give it a go? Because um, this was in between uh, in between me going back to camp for the third time. So I thought, look, I'm not going to be getting a permanent job anyway. So I just thought, you know, give it a go. Bit of fun. Um, and I was enjoying that enough. Um, and then I just saw something online for Harlequins as well, community coaching. So um, I took that up. So I worked with the community side of things. I worked on the, the foundation projects as well. So <clears throat> the foundation was sort of more going into, how can I put it, probably less affluent areas, um, sort of, you know, so there was parts of sort of South London and, and other, other parts of sort of Southeast and South, South of England that I sort of went to, to schools where they may not have enough money to pay for sort of, you know, those after school clubs and stuff. So Harlequin's Foundation, they, they'd come in, do the after school club, or they'd even like teach the PE lessons because they may not have enough money for like PE teachers sort of thing. So they do that for absolutely free. So, you know, we, we could teach them about, you know, diet, sleeping right, all sorts of stuff. And then of course we'd have um, outdoor, outdoor stuff. So it wasn't all, it wasn't like full on rugby. It was because we were working with kids, you know, from four all the way up to sort of 16. Um, so some of them were just like, you know, games with a rugby ball or playing like tag rugby sort of thing, you know, escape the jail sort of thing where everyone's got to take tags off the other person sort of thing. Um, but then all the way up to sort of, like I said, you know, players who, in the future could possibly be playing for England, um, sort of, you know, six, 16, 18 year olds um, at academies and everything as well. So it was definitely a massive variance, you know, um, <clears throat> the, the, the level of rugby, the difference of coaching was huge. Um, and I, st- I still coach now purely as a volunteer at Dorking. Um, so I actually coach under 18s girls at the moment. Um, and that is, and you can ask any coach who, who's coached boys and girls, they're so different completely different it's not just the way they play the game but the way they sort of listen and the way they they are during training sessions it's it's completely different it's not a bad thing um it's just almost where with boys you'll tell them to do something and they'll just do it girls they sort of ask the questions um which is as a coach that's exactly what you want you want them to ask the questions so they understand why they're doing it rather than just doing it um but it's loads of fun. I mean, you know, when I was at Bournemouth um, at that club, I, I was coaching. Initially, I started coaching under nines. Um, so that, that, that's a mixture of boys and girls at that point. It's the year just before they started doing contact. Actually, no, under eight, sorry. Under nines is when they started doing contact. Um, and that was pretty much childminding. You know, it was herding cats. It was absolutely chaotic. 
Um, and then I went up to under 15s and under 18 scales, predominantly under 15 scales at, at this club. Um, and now there's three of them in sort of like the England setup. Two of them play for sort of uh, top tier teams, you know, Bristol Bears women's and Gloucester Hartbury women's. Um, and it was fantastic. You know, that's what definitely grew my love for sort of trying to support the, the girls in the women's game. Um, and if you have a look at how much it's grown um, globally, I mean, I think I saw a stat the other day from World Rugby that about a quarter of the people who actually play or registered rugby players now are girls and women. Um, you know, which you have a look probably, I would I'd say probably five, 10 years ago, I'd be surprised if it was something like, you know, even a 10th. I mean, the numbers have grown drastically. Um, so yeah, no, sorry, I'll go back to the coaching as a, as a job. Um, it was definitely good fun. Um, I did enjoy it. There were some schools you went to and it was like, oh, I really don't want to be here today. But that's part of the job. I mean, you know, anyone has that on, on the job, no matter what they're doing. Um, and then, uh, yeah, it was that ankle break again. That's essentially what, what stopped me from doing that. Um, came back a little bit after that, but they just weren't able to offer me the hours, unfortunately. So I uh, ended up getting an office job, got more towards my my degree, my boring degree in business studies. Um, and that that's kind of what I'm doing now. So, uh, yeah, but like I said, you know, still love the game. I'm still, play, well, I'm not sure if I'm playing again, but I'm coaching and I play touch. I mean, you know, touch rugby is allowed to start this Wednesday in the UK again. Um, so I'll be down there um, losing all the kgs I've put on over lockdown for sure. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's part of the reason for me taking up coaching was in case I had that big injury where I couldn't play anymore. So that was part of the reason for me taking it up. Yeah. Um, what was the opportunity? We, yeah, we spoke um, on a group chat about this. The opportunity you had with did you say it was with Harlequins? You got offered like you you, you had an opportunity to to maybe enrol in, in a job there. Yeah, so I'm trying to figure out how I can say this. So it was with the women's side of things again, and there's something called Centre of Excellence. So there's I think there's about five levels, and I can't remember them off the top of my head. Sort of five levels of progressions from sort of you know grassroots to professional. And Centre of Excellence is essentially like the after county. So, you know, girls will play for county, uh, which is somewhat held in the past as well. And then there'll be Centre of Excellence. And that's when sort of certain clubs like Harlequins, Saracens, they'll have all their own Centres of Excellence. Essentially, it's bringing in girls um, from their local area. You think they've got a chance. They've been scouted or they've been offered up by their clubs, for example. Um, so I went to, along to, to one of those sessions um, and sort of, you know, one of the coaches there was the, the England women's head coach. Um, so it was, it was fantastic going there. And I wasn't necessarily offered an opportunity to be there permanently, um, but I was offered an opportunity to sort of help out there occasionally now and then. Um, so I did that, good fun. Um, and it, it, it's... The, the reason I had to stop, like I said, is purely because they just weren't offering me enough hours after that ankle break. Um, I, I wish I could have carried on, but, you know, life gets in the way, bills, et cetera, rent, blah, 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 all the boring adult stuff. Um, it just meant that I couldn't carry on as a job, unfortunately. Um, but essentially to the job offer, like I said, I was working part-time. It was almost just taking that a step further. So it would have been part-time slash full-time. It wouldn't have just been coaching. It would have sort of been operation side of things so maybe managing a couple of coaches having a look at possible you know scouting new areas to coach in as well um but yeah unfortunately that that leg break came in um a day before actually two days before i was supposed to have a, a massive coaching session at, at the stoop which is where harlequins play um watch a game sort of you know 
observe some kids who play on the stoop ground during half time sort of thing. So unfortunately that leg break kind of knocked that off and it meant someone else got that job. Um, and uh, yeah, that was, uh, like I said, I came back a little bit afterwards, but they just couldn't, couldn't offer me the same. So um, unfortunately I said stick with the, the volunteering side of things. Yeah. Yeah. That's unfortunate. It seems like that, uh, that leg break had a, had a big impact on that sort of stuff. Um, what is the the most in sort of wrapping it wrapping up the the coaching side of things now? But it, it's 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 really interesting to hear it because I, I mean I have had no experience neither with with rugby or, or football coaching in, in in any respect. Obviously, apart from having coaches at at, at specific levels, um, what's the most enjoyable part of the coaching for you? Would have that obviously depending on your answer here? Would that um, if you were if you did manage to you know um, overcome the difficulty of getting that job and if they'd if they'd offered it? Um, wouldn't an operational side of would operational would that operational side of things take take the fun out of it for you or would that enhance it or what's your thoughts on that? Um, that's a good question actually. Um, it, it definitely would take the coaching side away. Um, not not completely. I mean, it'd still be rather than coaching one hundred percent, it'd be coaching probably fifty fifty. Um, it's sort of a more of a big boy job, or sorry, I shouldn't say that, a big person job, um, but. Uh, the coaching is definitely where my love of it comes from, um, as, as I can tell. But I, I do think possibly over time I would have missed that coaching side of things. But that that's the same thing. It's, you know, you speak to any high-level coach, and, I mean, you know, the director of rugby at Dorking, you know, he, he's the head coach, but he probably spends half his time in the rugby club sorting out, um, you know, making sure players have got everything they need for the games. It's not just coaching. There's so much more to do on the side of things. I mean, you know, I became the head coach for the girls this season. And, you know, I just thought, oh, you know, it's pretty much you turn up, sort out a training session, go to matches, they'll turn up there, sort of, no. So, no, you've got to chat to other coaches at different clubs, try and organise dates, times to play, have games. Um, you know, if players can't turn up, you've got to make sure everyone has um, has has a part to play, make sure they uh, have, um, what was I going to say? You know, essentially you are not just their coach you know they may have issues going on at school they may have issues going on at home you know you need to be that approachable person as well so not just a coach telling them to do push-ups telling them to pass the ball make that tackle sort of thing you've got to be approachable at time as well and I mean that is definitely something um that I found difficult when I first started coaching is sort of that difference between sort of being someone's friend and then being a coach because there's been times where I've been too friendly and then they don't necessarily respect me as a coach then there's been the complete opposite where it's sort of like I tell them to do something and they'll just do it because they don't want to disagree or even ask me questions. So it's definitely a, a, an interesting balance between the two. Um, I feel like I've gone completely off topic from your question now. Um, oh, but uh, It's an all interesting perspective, you know, in, in, the, in that sense that you're speaking about there, um, it's, 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 it's very similar in that respect to, to teaching, you know, you, you want kids to, to like you in, in a sense, you know, without, like that's, that sounds a bit, cheesy of course you of course you want kids to, to like you but there's a there's a very fine line between the, the kids liking you and and respecting you at the same time you know you need to be you need to have them like not absolutely hating you at the front of the classroom but also you know if you tell them to listen do this or, or, or shut up for a second or whatever they need to they need to respond to that you know so it's a it's a fine line there and it's in, and it's interesting seeing the parallel between the coaching and uh and teaching in that respect uh well, I mean, to be honest, if you look at it, some of the best rugby coaches were teachers before. I mean, right. Stuart Lancaster, before he became the England head coach, his job was a teacher. 
So, I mean, they definitely are heavily, heavily linked. And I mean, you know, there's a couple of coaches who I work with now. One of them is joining. She's, she's doing her teacher training uh, this coming year. And she's sort of like, just from doing the coaching, she's like, I've learned so much more to help me in the classroom. And it, they, there is a massive link between the two, definitely. Yes. I, I, I've only got, I've got one more question on the coaching stuff. Um, I, mean, I mean, it's interesting to always hear about, like, you know, doing something that you love, like, obviously, rugby is something that you're passionate about um, as, a, as a job. Hmm. What did that, was that ever a problem for you, or was it, you know, or did you just enhance your experience in that sense? Um, I think towards the end, it did become a little bit of an issue because, like I said, you know, I was trying to make it work as a job and I kept chatting to my managers, whoever, that, whatever you want to call them and said, look, if I keep want to keep doing this, I, you need to give me more hours. So, oh, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. It's sort of, you know, it did hurt my love for the game because it was sort of like, look, I really want to keep doing this, but you're not allowing me to. Um, but it, it didn't because, I mean, the only real difference when I was actually coaching, when I was with the kids, the only difference between me doing it as a volunteer and having it as a job is I was getting paid. That was pretty much the own, only difference. Um, like I said, of course, there were some schools you go to, but it's an absolute nightmare, you know, when you have about 60 year threes or something sort of running around, which is one I had to, I had to go to um, because the other coach was there with me, got stuck in traffic every single time, apparently. Um, so, you know, that was an absolute nightmare, you know, dealing with year twos, year threes, you know, you be contact to those who don't know, that sort of um, six-year-olds, I think, roughly. Yeah, about around six, seven years old. Um, so when you have about 60 of them running around um, a playground, it just got to a point sort of like, I'll just chuck a few balls out. You can run around, you know, let loose your energy. That'll do. Exactly. Because um, it was impossible trying to teach them anything rugby related, you know, passing the ball backwards. They didn't understand it. They turn around 180 degrees and then pass it forwards. Because Oh, no, that's I'm passing backwards now. It's like not quite how it works. Um but no, uh, when it came to purely just coaching, it didn't take away the love. It was purely, I think, just the, the lack of opportunity. It kind of dwindled it a little bit. Um, but yeah. Yeah, fair play. I guess you, you've already sort of touched on it in terms of, you know, the, the necessities of life that come in the way. What, 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 what's, future for you? You know, what's the future for you in terms of um, what you do now? bit of context on that and you know how are you, you finding you know the transition I guess from from uni to, to playing to injury to coaching to, to an office job sure yeah so um at the moment I, I'm working as a project support officer for um, a company that deals in pathology so that's essentially blood work testing um nothing I plan on getting sort of into that that industry um but I work as sort of IT project support officer so that, that's pretty much IT systems, um, certain tools, something that in a job everyone will have, but you won't even think twice about it. So, you know, if you weren't in a job and you had to use timesheets, that'll be using this sort of system and everything. So it's implementing those. It sounds so boring. It really does sound so boring when you talk about it, but um, it kind of links to, it's, it's what my dad's done in the past. And I mean, you know, you talk to a lot of people, um, just like that kid he had not, not too long ago, I can't remember his name, if it was Sam or something, you know, his parents were teachers. He became a teacher because his parents are teachers. Um, and, you know, like I said, my dad worked sort of an IT project manager. He's done fairly well for himself. Um, and dur during my placement year at university, that's what I did. Um, I actually worked at the same place my dad worked. I was working as a PSO on an integration, com integration project between two large sort of international insurance companies. Um, and I just enjoyed it. 
it was definitely it definitely has its stresses. One hundred has its stresses, as every job does. Um, but it, it, it's definitely ob- obviously different from coaching, big time. Um, but it links on to more what you were just saying there. What are my plans for the future? I mean, it's a stereotypical, you know, nuclear family sort of thing. You know, I'm, I'm trying to save up for a, a mortgage at the moment. And, you know, da- down here, that's impossible. Um, you know, if I've, I went up to Newcastle sort of um, not too long ago and I had a look at the house price up there and it's sort of like, you could buy a five bed house up here for like, you know, how much you get a one bed house sort of down here. And it, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, so at the moment, the biggest thing is trying to save up for a mortgage. That's something both my girlfriend and I are trying to do. Um, and there's definitely a lot of stresses that come with that. Um, because like I said, before I was living with my girlfriend, I was living at home. No rent, no real bills and everything. Yeah. So saving was fairly easy. Um, I had no big expenses. But, you know, of course, I'm not saying I change it in case she's hearing, listening to me. Um, you know, there's obviously a lot more bills and stuff. You know, a lot more money comes out of the account now. So saving definitely takes longer. Um, it adds to the stresses, you know, things come up unexpectedly. You don't think about it. So, okay, there goes more money out of my savings account, blah, 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 blah. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, the, the job I'm in now, it, 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 it pays decent. I, I'm not going to shy away from that. It pays decent, but it's stressful. It really is stressful. I mean, you know, there's been times this last week I was logging on at 7.30 in the morning. And sometimes I didn't log off until gone eight in the evening. Um, so long hours. That, that's not every day. But it, it comes with a job. I mean, it, it, it's, it is difficult. Um, but at the same time, when you see a project's completed, you know, you've been there from start to end, it is, is, uh, it is it, it's good to see. Um, and it's difficult to kind of describe to anyone who doesn't work in sort of what I do. You know, I've got friends I coach with and they say, oh, you work in IT? Oh, so you, you fix computers? Like, not quite. Uh, I'm more sort of software side of things. Like, oh, what's that? And it's like, I'm not even going to bother trying to explain that. Um, but... It's it's different every single day. It really is. I mean, possibly not the same as teaching, um, but you know, new problems come up every single day. You got to try and solve them. Um, and I think the one thing I found in certain office jobs is it's not the work that's the most important thing. It's the people you work with. Because the job I had before this one, I'm not going to say the name of it, but the people I worked with, I, I did. <laughs> Uh, they're, they're a huge multinational construction company, so um, I don't want their lawyers knocking on my door. You know h- how big this pod is. You see, it might get out there. Um, <laughs> controversial corner um, jingle right here. <laughs> there we go. But um, the people there, it was just sort of like there was no. It didn't feel like a team. It just felt like we were just getting the work done, and that was it. And it was just sort of like you don't you don't enjoy it. You're just there to get the work done. And this job I'm at now. Like I said, sure, there's been some days I've been logging on early and logging off late, but the people I work with are great. You know, it's sort of during meetings, we may have a little laugh with each other sort of thing, you know. Sure, that may add a certain amount of minutes to the meeting, blah, 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 which means I work later, but you much prefer working with people that you enjoy working with rather than just getting the work done and logging on at nine, logging off at five. I'd much rather, you know, have conversations, which means I work two hours later with people and I get on really well with. So, um, yeah. You're on mute, You're pal. On mute, <laughs> the sound of lockdown. Yeah, literally. That was just—I was just leaving space for the jingle. Um, <laughs> yeah, just in the back of that. Um, how has lockdown been for you, man? Like, I know, like you, like you mentioned before, um, you know, like me, living with your, living with your, your, your partner. Um, how's it been for you? How have you managed to get through it? You know, what's the big, big stresses been of the, of the past year? 
and how has it affected you in terms of work, social life, mental health, that sort of stuff? Yeah, um, definitely. Well, something I possibly should have mentioned is, uh, well, when me and my girlfriend met, she was living in London, I was still living with my parents. Um, and when lockdown initially kicked off, it was a case of, look, well, we're either not going to see each other or one of us are going to have to move in with the other one. So it actually happened that she moved in with me and my family. So, of course, that was a big shock um, for her and my family. You know, it's everyone gets on really well. They really do. But, I mean, with, with, with families and sort of other halves, whatever you want to call them, they got on well for short periods of time. They, they never fell out, but living together, sort of, you know, with your girlfriend and your parents, it's interesting. It's definitely um, tricky. No one ever fell out at all, but it's sort of, because it was my parents' house, she always felt, you know, sometimes they were looking over our shoulders and everything, blah, de, blah, de, blah. Um, so we, we, we moved out as soon as, as soon as we, not as soon as we could, but, um, you yeah, know, like I said, first of July. So I think we came out of the first lockdown so around June time. Um, yeah. So we, we, we moved out um, in, in July. Um, so that, that, that definitely helped sort of with us. I mean, to be honest, I think if, if we had moved out, you know, I mean, it's horrible to say, but there's possibly a chance it, it wouldn't have worked. I mean, she'd, be, she'd hate me if I said that, but you know, there's a, there's a chance that would possibly be the case because so yeah, there's a, there's a lot of stresses and everything that, that comes with living sort of, you know, with your, your boyfriends or girlfriends, parents, 100%. Um, but something else I should mention is when lockdown initially kicked off, I was working as a contractor um so job security isn't great so i'm sure you can tell what's going to happen here i was uh not furloughed because i wasn't an employee of the company but i was let go um purely because work dried up so that was you know a big like ah right okay so i've gone and i hadn't been at that company for too long i think i'd been there for about four or five months and that was after i broke my leg so you know after a decent amount of time of not earning any money i finally get a job which i enjoyed um, and then they had to let me go due to COVID. I mean, no one wanted it to happen, but it is what it is. Um, so then I was very lucky that I wasn't out of work for too long. I was out of work for about two months until I got that job for that company, which will shall not be named um, for, for the reasons. But it was a job. I was lucky. I was there, there at other job, which I wasn't necessarily enjoying for about nine months. Um, and, you know, like I said, however much I didn't enjoy it, there's people who are much worse off than me, um, you know, people who just haven't been able to find jobs i mean the job market is absolutely it's dry right now especially in i mean i don't know how it is out there as well where, where you guys are but in the uk it's impossible you know i've got friends who were highly qualified getting all sorts of you know normally they'd be a high level job and they're applying for entry level jobs and they're just like oh, i don't have enough experience it's like they have masters that they have you know years of experience and it's it's almost like an entry level job and you're saying don't have enough so you know employees definitely are taking the piss because they know they can at the moment um my mum you know she was looking for some part-time work um and I think they said they were offering it was it was it was only I think like two and a half two and a half days but the amount they were offering like pay-wise it was just it was ridiculous but that's because they know they can get away with it because everyone's looking for work and everyone's desperate for it yeah so yeah yeah fair enough so you you've just just about survived just, just about just about got yeah to. well also I think it'd be rude if we didn't uh we didn't wrap up. It's been a it's been a great conversation, by the way. I've learned a lot. Have you learned a lot yeah. of me, mate. It's been it's been, it's been good to hear. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm still I'm still amazed by the injury list. It's still still trying to formulate <laughs> that in my head. <laughs> I'm still waking up in the morning occasionally. The ribs hurt, and it's sort of like I oh, just roll over and that's it. But you know, mm. it's fine. They're all minor. Yeah, 
Yeah, but that, even that thing, man, like it's 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 sort of a cool like character arc that you've had in terms of playing and then coaching and then like obviously you still you still so that uh, you love the game so much even even though um, you know you've had all these injuries and all, and all that stuff. Uh, by the way, oh, as a time of recording, uh, the the Six Nations has has just finished. What do we think of that, boys? What do we think of that? Clearly not the performance everyone is expecting. Um, disappointing. Um, but I'll probably be one of the only people saying, I don't think Eddie needs to go. Um, I don't know how much long we've got on this pod, by the way, but I can go on for a little while on this. Yeah. I, I don't think Eddie needs to go. I think what needs to happen is we just need to bring in some new players. And I mean, I'm not saying the players we've got in the squad now are bad at all. But if you have a look since the 2019 World Cup, how many different players have we got in there? I think they just become confident. They know no one else is even trying for their positions. So they're just becoming complacent. You know, you have a look at the form of some players in the Premiership. You know, Harlequins have got a load of great English players. You know, Alex Dombrand playing at eight, Marcus Smith playing at 10. I'm still not sure if Marcus Smith's ready for international level yet because he's still quite young. But, you know, Piers O'Connor playing for Bristol. You know, there's some great players out in the Premiership, but Eddie just isn't choosing them. I mean, He's just sticking with the same boys. And I think they just, like I said, they just come complacent. Um, just need to try it up, Get, put a bit of competition within the squad. And I think then the players will push. They'll have to push to wear that shirt, that white shirt, week in, week out, rather than I've got the shirt, doesn't matter. Uh, if I play, I play sort of thing. I think that's what's happened at the moment. So um, disappointed for England. Sure, well done, Wales. I haven't got any Welsh in my, my body, but um, yeah, well done, Wales. But uh, yeah, definitely disappointed for England. What about you, guys? Did you watch much of it? Yeah, mate. I, I mean, I just completely agree. I think um, I don't think it needs to go. I think like I think it's good for us, if anything, because it mm. gives a bit, of a bit of a reality shock. But yeah, I mean, uh, you know, you know me. I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty open to just I just wish you get some new players in. Like yeah. we've got we've got decent we've got very good people that we can pick. Uh, just pick them. Um, but you know, I think it, like I said, if you look at if you look at the Welsh team, then they, that's exactly exactly what they did. They're just, you know, they're, they're boys that are playing the Premiership. So, you know, we've we've got we've got the talent there. It's just a case of you know showcasing them. So, but I guess you know if, it, if this didn't happen, uh, it wouldn't be uh, an excuse or a reason for for these guys to get a nod in. Hopefully, in the next one. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, maybe France though, unbelievable scenes. Well done. Yeah, Happy they have. I'll be back. They have done a lot over the last few years. I mean, you know, I look back a couple of Six Nations ago and I probably said, oh, you know, I'm quite happy to play sort of France, Scotland and Italy away. I think they'll be fairly easy games. And France have just, they've just suddenly got really good out of nowhere. It just seems to happen like one season. They said, right, OK, we're going to play well now. Um, and they just have come out of nowhere doing really well. Um, but I think that's the thing, you know, it's just, it's that change. And this is this is the one thing when if you actually have a look at the difference between the squad from the 2015 World Cup when we had two at Lancaster and the 2019 World Cup, there really isn't much difference. And that's the thing, it, there, there really hasn't been much difference at all. Um, I think Eddie Jones just sort of, you know, he changed a couple of things up and that was it. That's what, you know, made us so successful for a period of time. I think that's what needs to happen again, just change a couple of things. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not saying like any of the players in the current squad need to go at all but give them some competition because then they'll work for it yeah I'll tell you what though that France team has been a very a very exciting watch you know I don't think they've had any dull dull games in the in the Six Nations this year that uh, DuPont no. DuPont Intermac um, partnership is, is re- it's really exciting and like you say 
what they did was all they did was out with the old in with the new get the new exciting yeah. boys in and uh and it, and it seemed to work for them. Um, so, what would what, what what would you change? You mentioned some players there, Dan. I'm like to say, there's 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 no time limit necessarily here. Um, what what sort of players would you? You're the you're the rugby coach. You're the rugby coach between us three. Which who would you get in? What would you what would your first change be? If you're Eddie Jones for the day, who are you getting in? First one. Um, that's difficult because the thing is, you know, with rugby, all the different positions it makes such a big difference. Um, Why don't you go one to fifteen? You you 1 to 15. Yeah, do that. Uh, front row, I don't think needs to change much, in all honesty. I think front row is fairly solid. Um, Jamie George has had a bad campaign, but when he's on form, I'd say he's definitely the best hooker in the Northern Hemisphere, possibly the world. But like I said, he's just had a, he's just had a poor run. I think that's possibly because Saracens have been in the champ this season and they haven't had any games. That's the thing. I think that's partially part of it. Um Second row, it's difficult. Maratoje, you know, everyone, you know, everyone say he's a shoe in. Of course he is, but he just needs to change his discipline. You know, if you look at the amount of penalties he gave away himself over the competition, it was awful. I mean, he, he's always played rugby on the line, and that that's part of it. And I mean, fantastic, but he needs to sort of, you know, wind it back a little bit. Um, for the other second row, it's difficult because you know. Courtney Laws when he's firing, he's he's perfect. Same with sort of Launchbury and and everyone else. But it, it's difficult, you know. Second row is often a role that's overlooked. People just think, oh, it's just you know, someone else who pushes in the scrum, they jump out in the lineup, that's it. But they do do a lot. I don't know. I mean, you know, we have got. Um, I, I'm bad with names, by the way, so I'm not going to remember everyone's name. But something Hill, he he's performed all right when he's been. Bonnie Hill, that's the one. He, he's been all right when he he's been on the pitch. Um, and I think that that's one you can look at. They bought in new players and they've done well. It's as simple as that because you know they they've got to work hard to get in that squad. Um, back row, um, of course, Underhill. He couldn't be in it this year because of injury. Um, I then put Curry in there as well, and then the one who everyone has been talking about, number eight, Sam Simmons. One hundred percent. You know, if you have a look at, I think he's played twelve games now. Is it thirteen games? And he scored just as many tries. And for a number eight, for that to happen, it's, it's you know, almost unheard of. You know, you always expect a number eight to score a few tries. So, you know, they, they make those big crash hard runs and everything. But he's not scoring them from, like, crashing through every single time. He's scoring them by running great lines that you expect to see off a centre. So I think he, he, he brings a lot to the team as well. Um, so that's the forwards. Um, scrum Sometimes half. Mike Simmons. Mike Simmons a lot. Yeah. Yeah, no, he is. He is. He is. He needs to be in the squad. Simple as that. And I'd say Don Brandt's also a possible one. You know, I'd have him on the bench. Yeah, have a look how good he's doing for Harlequins. It's uh, he's scoring pretty much every single game as well. Um, scrum half at the moment. I know this is going to surprise a lot of people because he's quite old now. But Danny Care, he's lighting it up oh, in the Premiership at the moment. He's geez. absolutely lighting it up. Love that. Um, I love Danny Care. Love everything about him. Yeah, I mean, I've got to make it clear, I'm not a Harlequin supporter, even though I am from Surrey and 99% of the people here do support Harlequins. But I just think Danny Kay, if, you, if you're going off form alone, I'd say he's probably the, the on-form English scrum half in the Premiership at the moment. Um, I think we possibly need to look at Harry Randall from Bristol as well. Um, he's even smaller, well, I was going to say even smaller than me, but like I said, I've packed on a few kgs now. Um, not in a good way. Um, but 
he has got good ability and he's young. You know, we can we can build him. You know, if not for the 2023 World Cup, he'll definitely be there for the next one. I think he's still, I think he's only like 20, something like that. So he's got loads of time. Um, so I think we can bring someone else like him in. Um, Dan Robson's also firing quite well when he can, but he's another tricky one. You know, he can have his off games. And when he has his off games, he did during this Six Nations, I think during the first match, he couldn't put a pass to hand. Simple as that. But he is good when he's on form. Ben Spencer, thoughts, conclusion. Ben Spencer, yeah, I think I think, yeah, yeah, I think I think he's another another good choice. To be fair, um, that's the thing. There are lots. There are there are lots of good choices, and it is difficult. I mean, you know, I've never been in a position where I, I struggle to select players. You know, I play for well, I coach for voluntary level sort of you know at kids and it's sort of sometimes you won't even have enough players and it's sort of a case of right you're playing prop today there you go by sorted, default. You know? exactly by default exactly um so you know it, it's it's tricky um i know the fact he likes he likes ben young's ben young's does offer a lot but i think change it up change it up and then there from 10 as well um george ford the thing with George Ford, he's reliable, but he doesn't do anything amazing. You know, you can expect him to do something on a game and he'll do it. That's the thing. He's no Finn Russell. Um, he won't do something amazing one game. But that's the thing. It's do you want a reliable 10 or do you want a 10 who creates something that you're not expecting? Um, and there, that, that's somewhere, you know, I possibly look at the other Simmons brother. You know, he, he's, he's smashing it up. Um, and people keep saying Marcus Smith, Marcus Smith, Marcus Smith. I think if we had the England Saxons again, I think he he one hundred percent great for the England Saxons at ten. Um, but I just think he's still quite young. He, he still looks quite frightened on the pitch, to be honest. I mean, I would be if I had most of the guys run against me. They do on a professional pitch, but you know, I think he just needs a little bit of experience. And I mean, even I'll if that experience if you don't play. No, I know exactly, and that's that's the thing. That that's that that's a tricky thing. You know, maybe you know. He goes on like a tour, something like that, you know, rather than sort of maybe playing some of the Six Nations, get some experience through that. Um, but like I said, England Saxons, if we could bring some of that back, fantastic. He gets some form of international experience and then push himself into the squad. Sam Lehman. Um, huh? That's our that's our that's our mate Sam Lehman plays for uh, Jersey Reds. He's ah, uh, Jersey Reds. He's going to push himself in the England team next couple of years, isn't he, Ugly? You better do. I want they're some, pushing. some free tickets. I want some free tickets. They're pushing stash. Jersey Reds now. Are they good? They're doing well. They're doing well. I mean, because they're talking about ring fence in the Premiership soon as well. And I think sort of, you know, I think two clubs that deserve to come up are probably Jersey Reds and Cornish Pirates. Um, of course, Saracens will always come up as well. But, you know, I think those are two clubs that definitely deserve to come up based on what they've done as a club um, and where they're going, you know. If you have a look at Exeter Chiefs, a lot of their squad have come from Cornish Pirates because, you know, they're, they're very close to each other. Um, but yeah, no, no, Jersey Reds are definitely definitely doing well. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're building big time because I'm, I'm a London Irish supporter. There you go. I'll put it out there. So um, we, we spent a couple of uh, couple of years in the, the championship not too long ago. Mm. So, um, Go on then, lad. Inside, outside, wingers, fullback. Inside, outside. Slade, oh, it's difficult. See, I, I'd who, love to have who's, Slade. Who's your ten, by the way? Who's my ten? I'd say um, Simmons at the moment. 
on form, oh, I'd say Simmons. What a controversy. Who, <laughs> who are you going for? Uh, I'm going Marcus Smith. I just know Flair, though, so. It's yeah, no. I get that. And that's the thing, like, like I said, everyone around here is a Harlequins fan. And his form, he is on fire. And, you know, I may be completely wrong. I think, you know, I think give him a year or two. And I think 100%. But I just think he's still very young. Um, I think the reason he does so well at Quinns is because he's protected very well by the the, the pack and everything there. Um, and I think he fits in very well with that culture. I mean, of course, culture is different at all sorts of clubs and everything. But I don't know how he'd fit in there. But I do agree, he is smashing it up at the moment in, in the Premiership. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it is a Actually, difficult I'll, one. I'll retract my statement. I'm going for Danny Cibrilli. Uh, Most controversial. Yeah, that is that is controversial. But he, he he's another Finn Russell, to be honest. You know, he, he he does things that are just amazing. Like you think, oh, okay, well, he's, he's going to get the ball out there. There you go, exactly. Exactly, you know. The things he can do on the pitch and off the pitch. Um, but yeah, no, it's interesting signs for Bath though. That that's a that's an interesting one. But yeah, right, twelve. I like Owen Farrell, but it's difficult because I really do like him, but I don't think he's a twelve. And I think he's lost quite a bit of form. He can't defend well. We've all seen how he tackles. And defending in the centre channel is so important. That that's where you know you get a lot of people running through. Um Slade is performing well. Um, I possibly put Slade there. He's a good distributor. He runs good lines. Um, and at the moment, that's what you want as, want as a 12. Um, 13. It's a shame we didn't see more of Ollie Lawrence, this um, Six Nations. Massive shame. Because if you have a look at him for club, for Worcester, he, he's, he's running through everyone, which is what you want as a 13. It's pretty much, you know, smash it up. Um, but he just wasn't given enough opportunity. Um, that's a difficult one, that one. I don't quite know who I would put as 13, actually. Um, yes, but, you know, how many injuries has he had now? That's the thing, you know, it's sort of, you know, I, I part of me is like taking on the Lions tour, but I just feel like, you know, he played five minutes, he'd be injured. And that's it, you know. If he didn't have all the injuries, if he's on form 100% to Willangi, you know, he offers so much. He's a, he's a threat, Um Big time running lines, running through people, the size of him, um, and offload ability. Um, I'd, I'd say definitely, if he was on form, I'd definitely choose him 100%. Um, I'm trying to think of other ones. Do you know, Jonathan Joseph, he, he's been out for a while now, but he's doing the right for Bath. I, I think he, he's a possible one. You know, he's got a possible chance coming back in. But with Jones, it seems to be as soon as he drops a player, that's it. They're never coming back in. So I don't think he will anytime soon. So that's 13. That's a difficult one, actually. Um, yeah, not entirely sure. Wingers, Anthony Watson, he's been lighting up. Um, yeah. well, let's go back through rather than wingers. So Anthony Watson, Johnny May, they both offer something ridiculous. You know, Johnny May's pace is, uh, apart from Louis Rees-Samet now, he's, uh, he's proven he's faster. Um, his pace is ridiculous. He's normally really good under high balls as well. Um, he's suffered a little bit this tournament, but you know, normally Jolly May and Anthony Watson they'll offer you everything you want, and not a lot of people will agree with this one. But Jack Knoll, I think he just he he's he offers yeah there we go he offers he offers so much. Um, you know he's he's not the tallest of blokes, he, he's short but he's stocky, and I mean you know he can he can run through tackles for a winger, not something you'd expect, 
when he's on form, I think he's brilliant up there as well. Um, that's who I put in my back three. But like I said, Piers O'Connor, where does he play? Actually, Piers O'Connor, he might be centre, actually. That might be my 13th choice. He plays for Bristol. He's lighting up at the moment. He, he's doing absolutely amazing. But it, it's tricky. I mean, you know, I think some of the places where England have so much good talent at the moment is its wingers and its flankers. 100%. I mean, you know, you go to almost any, even amateur grassroots level clubs, they'll have so many flankers and so many wingers because, you know, everyone wants to be a flanker because you hit things. That's pretty much what you do. And as a winger, you score most of the tries statistically. Um, you know, Joe Cock and a singer as well, you know, an ex-London Irish person. Um, he offers a lot. He's a big, big boy. Um, good hand skills, good lines. Um, it it's difficult because I mean, I mean, I don't watch much Love Rugby because I don't have a, a BT Sport or anything. Um, but he, he's definitely another one I'd say. You know, look at he's still quite young, um, and I think he could work his way into the squad. I think what will be really interesting seeing what Gatlin chooses for the Lions tour because I think there'll be a few players that weren't selected in England Six Nations squad that will be going out there. I think Sam Simmons definitely being one of them. So yeah, yeah, fair enough. I thought that to. It's an interesting take, like you say. You're uh, you're already Jones for the day, so it's uh, you can decide. And I mean, I, I could have, if you said to Alan, you know, I could have, I could have let you go. I wouldn't have said, ah, well, he's already injured all the time. You know, in this magical world of Dan being uh, Eddie Jones for the day, you don't you don't have to worry about injuries. Uh, all right, that's 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 class. And um, I, one final thing I'd like to finish on, just a, just an, as an interest, I guess, is um, one player that you just really like. Just one player that just really maybe maybe you can do your best player in the world as well, like actual best player in the world. But I just want like one player that you just watch him and you just think I, I, it doesn't have to be like the best. Obviously, he's probably going to be quite good, but one player that all three of us just really really like, just in terms of maybe flair or personality or just their way the way that they played that you just think that's actually just sick. What do you reckon it would be? I know it's sort of putting you on the spot a bit, but I mean, I guess that's what we're doing. Yeah, that's the thing. Sort of, you know. If they weren't still playing, I'd easily say Paul O'Connell. He's one of my favourite ones of all time. But currently playing, if we're going off everything, including sort of banter off the pitch as well, I'd possibly say Joe Marler. Now, I know that's weird saying a prop because, you know, you normally think, oh, all they do is they push it a scrum. But mm. if you have a look at the tackles he puts in on the pitch, phenomenal. I mean, the work rate in the scrums, he, he's brilliant. You know, he's been invited to the Six Nations, the England squad so many times, and he says yes, but then he drops out. And that makes me think maybe there's something wrong with the culture in the England squad as well. But, you know, he, he's a family man. I mean, if you any of you have watched any like Quinn's YouTube stuff, he turns up in a stupid outfit every single train session. You know, he, he's so much banter, so much banter. He, he's hilarious. Um, but he, he also puts in a good shift on the pitch as well. You know, in the scrum, he's dominating scrums. You don't want to run at him because you're going to go flat on your ass. You know, he, he smashed Cuthbert a couple of weeks back. Um yeah, I'd possibly say him. Definitely say him. Definitely. What would yours be, Uggs? Mate, I was going to go Joe Marl as well, just because he's got unbelievable. I'll just finish his book as well. Uh, but I'm not going to go, I can't go to the same one. So I'll go for... Oh, it's a mix between Danny Kerr or Ellis Genge. Ellis Genge. He's, what a hero. He stinks out the pitch sometimes. Baby Rhino. I love it. I love it when he gets wound up. Yeah, you get the old gets wound up. Didn't he just get cited for... Um, I can't remember what that was. No, so it was it was against Ireland. Um, he definitely put a few elbows in Johnny Sexton's face on the yeah, floor, yeah, but yeah. he didn't get cited. So, um, yeah, no, he got, got free of that one. 
best. Yeah, okay, so who's the best? That's your favourite one, August. Who's the best at the minute? Who's best player? Mm. Or in form? Yeah, it could be. Well, it doesn't have to be necessarily be in form. It could be. It could be anything. Like. Uh, who do I mean, in, in terms of enjoyment of watching, mm. I'd say Danny Kerr. Just generally, because I just love everything about him. Right. He's small. Well, I'm not, I'm not letting you say on my on, on our podcast that Danny Kerr is the best player in the world. That's just it not is, right. mate. It's just facts. He is a man. His drop goal weekend was unbelievable. I'm, I'm, I'm getting Danny Kerr, mate. Or uh, oh, Toby Flood. Flood. No, no, I'm going to... I'm actually, I'm actually going to go Sam Simmons because he's just unbelievable. Sam Simmons. I'd say, I'd say best one in the world at the moment, and I mean, it hurts me to say it because I'm an Englishman, is DuPont. You know, he, he's just... I was going to say that, I just couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it hurts. But you look at him as a scrum half, he's not just performing as a scrum half with the distributing, his support lines, his little snipes. And all honesty, even his physicality, you know, he's, of course, he's short, but he's stocky. He'll put on tackles and forwards. You think normally the nines would get bashed off, but he's putting in good hits as well. He's, he's almost like a, a young Faf de Klerk, you know, when, when you look at him. You know, Faf not too long ago was doing the exact same thing. But he's doing it, and he's a hell of a lot younger. Um, so I, I definitely say he's possibly the best player in the world at the moment. Certainly, uh, for the one, yeah, yeah, for the one that I really enjoy or have specifically enjoyed, I'm a sick, I'm a, a stickler for for a bit of flair, a bit of pace, a bit of a bit of backfield action. Um, that guy, Semi Rad Radwa from um, oh, Bristol. Yes. He's yeah, he, every time I watch that, yeah, you just watch Bristol, man, and obviously Bristol have been. Uh, pretty unbelievable this year been very very good and I think that's a, a massively due to a lot of people but specifically him as well man. Just, when he gets the ball like that for, that for me is like rugby I know like other people uh, people enjoy fa- the different facets of the game you know but my specifically is when he gets the ball in the backfield and, and you just watch him go man like, you, anything could happen it's that unpredictability it's those uh, Fijians yeah. man yeah, it's exactly. The just, they just they just hold on the. They, it's like they hold on to the ball with like a finger, and because of that, they can just do anything that they want. Yeah, the I can barely hold on to the ball with two hands, man. They, they're like you said, they've literally got it in between two fingers, and they can offload it through a tackle, and it's, it's crazy, absolutely crazy. Yeah, so semi rad rad rad. Yeah, that's easy for me. Easy for me to say. Rad rad rad. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what I just said there. Try one more time. Too many tintos. Semi rad 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 rad. Semi randrada. Is it? I think I may be wrong. I may be wrong. He's a Bristol centre for Gian. There you go. Yeah. Look him up. Massive beard. There you go. Yeah, he's quality. And I think for in terms of best, um, same. I'm going down the same line sort of thing um, with with what I enjoy watching. So the best sort of players in terms of where I enjoy watching. Um, I think you're probably like there. You're looking at like Damian McKenzie. Both the, the Barrett brothers are, are quality as well, but Damien McKenzie yeah. as well specifically. I think he's a he's just pretty he's just electric man. They can put the, that 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 uh, all black team. They can just change out their fifteen and their wingers all and just rotate any of them, and they're all absolutely sick. But yeah, specifically yeah. Damien McKenzie's absolute burns pace, and um, he's great. He's great under the high ball as well, and he, he's another guy that is very very exciting to watch. I can't wait to for when the um, the subcontinent uh, rugby comes back, you know, and and we see that uh, the 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 then battles again between you know New Zealand, South Africa, Australia, yeah. uh, Argentina as well. Argentina have been nice nice to watch in the last few years too. The, the that's that battle in itself. Uh, obviously, them playing against the the other three massive nations down there has helped them to grow massively. But they've got some they've got some good players. They've got some they've got some nice pieces there. 
um, and it's been interesting to watch out there. I think they're a very they're a very supportable team, Argentina. I think like they, they're nice to they're nice to root on. They're quite a quite exciting team, you know, just like most of the subcontinent teams. Mm. Have, right, you just, uh, have you just picked a player that is that plays the same position as you and looks like it? What just, what Damien McKenzie? He doesn't probably plays like you too. He definitely does, mate. If I had to pick a player, and I'd like to pick a player that would be in. Nah, lad, I'm, I'm more like Anthony Watson. Oh. <laughs> Statements all over. Statements all over. Yeah, but you look just in, like him too. I was going to say, especially in looks. That's uh, <laughs> especially in looks. All right, boys. Uh, I reckon that's uh, that's a wrap. I've uh, thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Ogunio, did you did you enjoy it? Mate, really enjoyed it. Just come on, Dan. Appreciate it. Um, yeah, thank yeah, you man. very much, man. Um, of course. Join, join us next week, guys. Uh, which we'll be talking. We don't know what we're going to be talking about yet. That's the that's the beauty of this podcast. If uh, you join next week, and uh, it's probably going to be about something completely random. But uh, again, yeah, thanks for coming on, Dan. It was an absolute pleasure and uh, a really nice chat. So thanks again, and I'll see you boys in a bit. Cheers. Thanks, thanks for having me. Bye, mate.